difficult and a little odd is that it comes with a quarantine sometimes, and that's where uh, Luis is right now. He spent a couple hours with somebody who came down positive, so he's out. And what that means is that we get to call up this volunteer team and say, hey, you're doing it all now. Would you be okay with that? And um, they said yes, and so would you just thank them with me for all of that? Thank you all. Appreciate it. All right, we'll let them head out, and we're going to... Um, Actually, I'll just address this real quick. We've been asked by um, several people, uh, why are you guys still meeting? Are you going to still meet with what's going on in the county? Uh, we have an exemption from the state of Indiana, and we're going to meet as long as we can. Now, here's the thing. Um, if, if you're comfortable coming, then come. Right now, we know that following just some simple protocols around here, we have not had we have not had a spread event at Waypoint Community Church. We've had a few things where person-to-person -person contact kind of violated some of our protocols that we had set aside, um, and, and we're trying to do better at those. But we, we've been able to do this the whole time that we've been allowed, and we haven't had a problem. So if you're comfortable, you can come. If you want to stay at home, it's okay. We love you. We have, we have people who are now... Um, actually managing the sound just for home so that it will improve and be of quality to you. So we're trying to do things that, um, that serve both groups of people right now, but just understand we're going to do this as long as we can, okay? Um, so let's turn our attention back, if we can, to the topic of racism. I don't want to talk so much about it as a problem today. I want to talk about the solution side, things that I think that we could actually do that could make a difference. And uh, I want to start with a big idea, and I was first exposed to this idea when I was younger. I'm going to give you some backstory all the way up to the moment that I had uh, the kind of interaction with it. I attended a Christian university. I was one of the better decisions I've made because I felt like it really challenged me to develop um, how I viewed the world where God stood with it. I had professors who cared about me as a person, but they also cared about the spiritual side of me and were constantly challenging that. And so for me, it was an incredible environment where I was asked to really think deeply about what I thought and what I believed. Now, one of the things that did surprise me, though, is that not everybody um, who was a professor at this university seemed to be influenced by God in the scriptures. And uh, I, I would go to some classes and hear some of the craziest ideas presented as if it were in the text. And I, and I will credit that some of those classes were just as helpful for me developing my faith because I would go back to my room with this thought, I don't think that's what the scripture says. Have I gotten this wrong the whole time? And I would dig through it. And, and because I was thinking critically about the whole way I viewed the world, it ended up being really helpful for me. But what I found deeply frustrating was that I would sit in some of these classes where these kind of weird ideas would be lobbed out into the group, and, um, and, I, and I knew I was going to go and critical think that sort of thing, but I was watching most of my classmates go, oh, you're a professor, you must know what you're talking about, I accept this. And it drove me nuts, and so I decided that I would start to be the voice um, that present uh, alternate ideas in the classroom. And some professors embraced it, and some did not. 
And it got, well, I, I was having a great time. Like, because I had gone and I had figured out exactly what I believed, why I believed it. And I was going to, I was going to um, have a discussion in this classroom so that he would have to say exactly what he thought or believed. Or she was going to have to present her ideas so that they could understand that this isn't just something that can blindly be said and accepted. And so sometimes there were knockdown, drag out fights. It was a blast, right? It was really good, um, except for one thing that I found out later. I started doing this in my sophomore year. In my senior year, I made a couple new friends that year who were also seniors. And, um, and they told me that in my sophomore year and in my junior year, they had avoided me. And they had avoided me because they had never seen anybody stand up to a professor and go toe-to-toe -to -toe -to with them in a classroom. And they just were intimidated by the whole thought of it. So they just didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so I had this thought in the back of my head that although that was a really beneficial thing, it had some bad side effects. And so um, I have all of that background going with me as I get hired for my first job. And our whole region had been hiring people, and they brought us all into a central place to do some training. And I was surprised when the trainer, who I thought would be there to tell us about their business and the things that we needed to know and all that other stuff, decided that he had a beef against Christianity, and he felt compelled to present it often in his, in his talks. And I was like, oh my word, here we are again, Right? And, and he would present some pretty bizarre ideas. And, uh, but I remembered, right? I remembered, I've got to work with all of these people. And before when I stood up, it alienated people. So I'm just going to shut my mouth and let this go. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. And then, and then he did an illustration that just pushed me right up to the edge. And I want to show you this illustration because it's about the idea that we want to talk about today. So, Carter, if you could come up here, I'm going to have you stand on this side of the carpet right here. I'm going to stand over here. We're all going to be good, and then I'll introduce it. Um, so he called a volunteer up, and that person stood there. And then he quoted this verse out of the scriptures. This is out of Matthew chapter 7. This is... Um, this is a, an area where Jesus was talking to his disciples. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, is what this is titled, where he took his disciples apart from everybody else, and they went up and they sat together. And he's telling them about the values he has for his kingdom. I want you to live this way. I want you to think this way. I want you to think about things that you've never understood that my kingdom stood for before. And he's laying it all out. Some pretty incredible stuff. And he gets to verse 12. And he says this, this is Jesus' words, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, um, I don't know if you saw how significant this is. He just said this sums up the law and the prophets. Everything that would have been written, would have been understood, I'm trying to sum this up for you in this one little idea do unto others as they would have them do unto you. You guys have heard this as the golden rule before. And um, so I'm in this training, and this guy decides he would read this verse, and he would try to make two important points. One, the golden rule was wrong, was his first point. 
And if the person who said the golden rule or the book who held the golden rule um, was out there, it shouldn't be believed. That was the second point. And again, um, I'm hearing him say all of this stuff. And here's what he said. Here's what he did. Okay. He had a suit jacket on. Yeah, that's why I'm wearing it, right? Illustration. Don't get worried, people. It's not going to happen very often. All right. People were like, whoa, this is a change. No, it's not. Okay, he took his suit jacket off, and he walked over and he said, doing unto others as you would do unto you is like putting a suit jacket on a guy that it's not suited for. He said, it, it's ill-fitting, right? This is too big for him. He would not go out in that. But this is what we do, and this is why the golden rule is wrong. I'm looking around the classroom, and people are like, yeah, wow, that's great, right? And all I could think was, man, it's really easy to sound pretty awesome when you take things out of context and twist it, because that's all that you're doing right now. And, um, and he, he made another comment about Jesus, right? And so now I'm squirming, and I spoke up. Like, I did. And I, like, and I said, okay, listen, let's think about this differently. Here, here's, where, here's where I'm concerned about this, particularly this morning why I want to talk to you about this. I'm convinced that the golden rule has the ability to be a counterweight to the problem that's at the heart of racism. At the heart of racism is a belief that I'm better than other people, better than you. And this calls us to find a way to elevate other people. If you think you're here and you are called to elevate somebody up next to you, it causes a balancing effect. But if you don't have to do that, if you get to think that you're better than anybody else, then you can get away with almost anything. And so his, his willingness to undercut that um, kind of made me sad. Now, here's the problem. You look at this illustration, and he's not wrong, right? The, the jacket doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense. And here's the thing. The golden rule works if you understand it properly. He was talking about a narrow part of the golden rule and he overruled it broadly and said it doesn't work. I think broadly it works. He got it narrowly right, and he missed the point. And I want to I help you with all of that if I can. Can you get thank Carter here? Thanks, man. Okay. When Jesus um, spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about some big moral ideas. If you go back and you look at what he was talking about, you will find a section where he talked about anger and murder. He talked about adultery and lust. He talked about loving your enemies. He talks about judging other people. Big moral ideas. And when it comes to big moral ideas, the golden rule gets it done. The golden rule would look at you and say, why would you steal that from somebody else? Would you want to have that stolen from you? 
Why would you consider taking that person's life? Would you want your life taken? Would you want the life of somebody that you love taken? Would you want somebody in your family to be the focus of somebody's lust? Then why would you do that to somebody else? Would you want to be given mercy by your enemy when they didn't have to? And over and over again, the idea of finding a way to put yourself in their shoes becomes of value and of importance. It really makes sense in light of some of this racism conversation that we're having right now. How would you feel if you applied for a job and the only thing that knocked you out was the color of your skin? How would you feel if you went to apply for housing and your ethnicity was enough for somebody to say no to you? Would you like that if it was happening to your kids? See, in one aspect, this is pretty easy to look at this like big moral stuff and to say, look, if I found a law that stood up for that kind of stuff, I would oppose it, and most of us would. Most of us would find a way to oppose something like that because it's just patently wrong. But racism, most of it, persists in the hearts and minds of people who believe they're better than other people, who have concluded, for whatever reason, that I'm better than you are. And the only thing that's going to be an antidote to that is a different perspective, a different way for you to consider. And it's why the golden rule becomes so critical, because you actually put yourself in that person's seat. You put yourself in that person's place, and you say, if I had to experience what they are experiencing, how would I feel about this? interesting. It's meant to be used as a tool, I think, to help us elevate other people. And if you'll recall, there was a a phrase at the end of that verse that said, this sums up the prophets and the law. Do you recall that phrase being used anywhere else in the scriptures? Because it is. In Matthew 22, um, Jesus says something very similar. He was asked a question by some Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives his answer in verse 37 of Matthew 22, or Matthew, um, yeah, 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He looks at them and says, this is the first and greatest commandment, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't add on. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look, this is not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. This is verse 40. Jesus says this next. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Sounds very similar, right? All the law and the prophets hang on this idea that you would love God and love other people. And he said, this all hangs on. The law and the prophets is if you'll do unto others as as you will do unto them, right? If you're going to do it to them, how would they have it do it to you? You, that, That whole concept. Why? Both of them care about elevating other people. I mean, what happens if you just love yourself too much? 
You just really love yourself too much. But you love others just the same way. Well, then you love them too much. But that could work because now it's an even playing field. The scriptures are concerned about finding a way to make us other-oriented in how we love and in how we act, in what we do to each other and for each other. And this is why I think this idea of the golden rule has to be firmly entrenched in our lives. It has to be something that we look at and we understand that, you know what? We wouldn't want that to be done to us because we think character matters. Not not the color of your skin, not the ethnicity of the, the person. The question is, does character pass down? It doesn't, right? My kids don't have a certain level of character because they were in my family. I hope to raise them that way. They all get to make their own choices that determine what character they'll carry in their lives. And when we start making decisions based on these outward appearance things instead of the character stuff, you wouldn't like it. And neither would you like it if it happened to somebody if you, if you found yourself in their shoes. See, maybe it doesn't happen to you. But the golden rule places you in an uncomfortable place where you consider somebody else's perspective And it changes how you think. By the way, if you consider um, this guy's illustration and what he got right, what he was talking about are preferences. People have preferences. And if you have a certain preference and you expect that everybody has your preference, that's a mistake. But instead of chucking out the whole golden rule, why don't you get the heart of the golden rule right? The heart of the golden rule was I'm supposed to find a way to put myself in their skin, to understand them, to listen to them, and I bet Carter would want a coat that fit him. It's not that he doesn't want a jacket, he just wants one that fits him. And so the heart of it is to understand what would fit him, and you meet that. So the golden rule still works, even though it works with preferences as well. I think this is a big deal. Here's... um, Here's how it impacted me over the last month. I told you I took some time with this. I had conversations with people. And one of those conversations uh, caused me to use the golden rule in a way that I wasn't anticipating. So I want to I take you back and talk to you about uh, my brother-in-law, Errol. Again, I'm going to put his picture up on the screen. It's my sister, Dorcas, um, brother-in-law, Errol. And, um, and the interracial marriage thing in a far more personal sort of way. Um, my sister had been dating Errol for quite a while and came home one Christmas and asked for a family meeting with all of us. I was married. My brother was married. Um, we all sat down, and um, she started to explain that she'd been dating this Jamaican guy and that she really loved him and that um, she thought she was dropping a bomb. She goes, and I want to marry him, right? Right? I think that's why we had the big family meeting. And um, my brother and I had one question. We said, does this guy love God and does he have great character? And she's like, yeah, he loves God. And we're like, okay, why are we having a family meeting? We don't, I mean, there's peanut brittle to be eaten and games to be played. I don't know what's happening right now. This does not seem like a family meeting type scenario, right? So, um, but we noticed 
that although we were quick to respond, my parents sat quietly in the room. And they asked for time to process this, which surprised all of us. We were kind of surprised that this happened. And so they slept on it that night, and the next morning they sat down with my sister and they said, we don't want, we don't want to support this. And the reason we don't want to support this is because we think your kids are going to get treated poorly. And you have to think more broadly about that. Um, my whole family had grown up in the north, northern Pennsylvania. 20 years into um, that, my parents had moved down to a southern uh, state, and they had uh, referenced several times to us that they were surprised that there seemed to still be a lot of racial tensions down there. And, and uh, that was coming out in this response. I still didn't, like, I, I don't think it's a good reason. I don't think it was a good reason at all. And over time, as my parents processed this with my sister, they came to, they came to a place where they understood that, you know what? I think our position was wrong and we're going to support this we're going to support this marriage and from what i have seen they have only been supportive of the marriage and of the kids and so it was a really cool thing but um but in the process of all of that there were some things that i took away from that incident and in a conversation with errol cuz i'd called him i just wanted to hear what he had to say i just wanted to, i was trying to put myself in somebody else's shoes to just listen like, what have you gone through? What don't I understand? What am I missing? And so I'm, I'm just having a conversation. And he referenced that he had done an hour-long interview with somebody else about that very situation. And he sent me a link. And in that interview, this situation came up. And I was shocked at his takeaway because his takeaway and my takeaway were so different. I mean, so far apart. You want to know my takeaway from that situation? When I thought back on that incident that happened with my family, I thought, man, my parents raised us with a certain set of values. And when the time came, we were all in line with those values. My brother and I, no problem. We didn't see an issue with this at all. My, my sister got the character and love God aspects right. Errol loves God, he's got incredible character, and she was focused on that and got it right. And even though my parents stumbled, they finally figured out a way to get, like, to get in line with their own values that they had been teaching us all along. And here's, the, here's what I reasoned. This is a really good indication of where society's heading because my family didn't think a thing of it, and I know we're going to raise our kids to believe that way too, and I can. I can go and look at my kids. They don't, they don't see these ethnicities and these racial barriers. They, they don't look at life that way. And I, and I looked at that, and I said, look, this is really good indication of how life flows. And when I heard him tell his story, he said, listen, for me, this, this was a really good indication that things were not as good as we said they were. Because the, one of the most important moments in my life, who I would marry, came down to the question of whether I had the right skin color or not. 
And so it stayed with him in kind of a haunting sort of way that it was close. That it was close. In fact, it wasn't until he said that that I actually went and did the research on the interracial marriage stuff and the opinions in the church and I found all of that stuff would never have crossed my mind. I would never have thought it was a big deal. I needed his perspective. I needed to hear what he was thinking, what he was feeling, how he had experienced life in order for me to have a full picture. It's not like my perspective was wrong, but it wasn't complete. And with him, adding to it, I started to get a better understanding of things that people were going to face. See, at the heart of the golden rule, is a desire for you to collect the story of others, for you to understand what they're going through, for you to wrestle with their view of things. I just described what our culture is horrible at right now. But it's necessary if we're going to find a way back from this. Because this stuff hides in our hearts and minds and will seem normal to us at times because it's the only perspective that we have. But when the golden rule comes along and says, listen, I want you to find a way to elevate others. I want you to hear what they have to say. I want you to understand how they've experienced this. Because when you do that, it starts to give you a perspective of what you might have to do or could do or should do. Can I give you an example of this? In 2019, a study was done. Uh, it was, this has been done over several um, decades now, and the numbers have not changed. It was a, an employment study. A group got together, and they made up some applications that they would use to apply to jobs all around the United States. They uh, made the applications as identical as possible when it came to experience and education, but they only made two different they made two different changes on the resumes. One resume they gave a clearly African American name to, on the other resume a clearly white person's name to it. And here's the second change. On the white person's one, they included a criminal background. Like I was in jail for this for X number of period of time. I was charged with this felony. Stuff that you have to disclose for employers. They then mailed these things out, and they tracked the rate of callback that they would get. 40% more calls back for the white application than the black application. See, you hear that, and it feels uncomfortable, but I'll tell you what. If you talk to somebody who experienced that, it would be different. They're just numbers. They're just stats. They're just ideas. They're still troubling. But the goal of the golden rule isn't to just consider numbers and ideas. It's to actually hear a story from somebody who had to face that sort of thing. And when it does, it would cause you to go, well, how would I have, how could I do some things differently? How could I find a way to go about the hiring process or to have conversations with people that would help mitigate this sort of thing. It changes our response when you put a face 
and a name to the thing that somebody is going through. And that's what the golden rule intends to do. And I'm convinced that in our day and age, it needs to elevate to the top for how we're going to interact with each other. In fact, here's an assignment that you can have for this next week. Find one person who's really different than you. Uh, different race, ethnicity, a, a different cultural background of some sort. You know they have different views on something. And just ask them to tell their story. Tell me your story. What have you experienced? And just listen. Just kind of absorb that in. The process of listening does not mean that I have to agree with everything that it's said. But we do this out of a desire to honor God by elevating others and making sure that we're not somehow in some twisted way internally concluding that we're better than others. We do that by gathering stories and listening, by genuinely hearing what they've gone through and holding it up to the perspective that we've had and saying, is there anything that I need to adjust? We're not just talking about preferences. We're talking about big moral things that are happening in our country. And I think God would be thrilled about a group of people who would try to do unto others as they would do unto you if you understood that at the heart of this, it was about understanding and knowing and elevating others and not ourselves. I hope you'll give it a wing this week that you'll find somebody that you can just sit down and have a coffee with and hear them out. Just tell me, just tell me how you've experienced this stuff. And listen, just listen. And see what in you might need to be changed. Can I pray with you? Uh, I'll just mention at the end of the service in the back left-hand corner over here, Tracy will be available to pray with you if you'd like. God, it's easy as part of the human condition to believe that we're somehow better than others, that we're right, they're wrong. And God, um, one of the things that you said was that if we understood what the law and the prophets were all trying to say, it would be to elevate others. It's not about us. It's not about us thinking that we're right and better. It's about loving people the same way we love ourselves. It's about doing to them things that would honor your name. God, in many instances, we don't know what that stuff is because we've not been exposed to a different perspective. So I ask that you would give us the courage as a group to lead the way, to step into a society who is horrible, horrible at listening and talking to each other and just doing it, just being the person who takes in that other perspective. God, I'm convinced if we do that, your spirit will go to work on us.
will challenge us to take steps to change, to see the world differently. God, I believe that we can start here and create a ripple effect if we would follow through on what your scriptures say. Do unto others as we do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, will you call us up to these high acts of love?